Welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA players, legends, and the top instructors in the game share their insights and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by TaylorMade Golf, the PGA Tour Superstore, Golf Pride, Two Under, Zexio, Sun Mountain Golf Bags, Finn Scooters, Making the Game More Fun, Bionic Gloves, and the McLemore Club. Experience life above the clouds. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro. Good evening, folks, and welcome to Next on the T. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro. And as most of you know, I live outside of Atlanta, Georgia. And folks, this area is still in shock over the senseless death of uh, local area PGA professional Gene Siller. Gene was the director of golf at Pine Tree Country Club in Kennesaw, which is about 30 minutes northwest of the city. If you're not familiar with the story, at around 2 o'clock on Saturday afternoon, a white pickup truck burst through the surrounding area around the 10th green. As you can imagine, when something like that happens on a golf course, someone's going to respond to see what happened. I'm sure suspecting that the driver must have had a heart attack or something. In this instance, it happened to be course director of golf, Gene Siller. And when Siller arrived on the scene, he was shot and killed. The shooter left the scene and hasn't been captured yet. Authorities arrived and found two other dead bodies in the bed of the truck. From what local news and police have said, Siller was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. There was some sort of active crime going on when he came upon the truck. Police have reached out to people in the area to see if anybody's got home video camera, doorbell video camera, or something that might have picked something up. Siller is survived by a wife and two sons, ages six and seven. A GoFundMe site has been set up to help the family. If you'd like to get involved in help, please go online to GoFundMe.com and search for Gene Siller, spelled S-I-L-L-E-R. It's a horrific story. Please join me in praying for his family. Okay, on to tonight's show, and my first guest is going to be 2013 Senior Open Champion Mark Wiebe. Mark has been a wonderful friend of the show over the years. Tonight's going to be his 10th time joining me. We're going to talk about the two upcoming majors on the Champions Tour. We have the U.S. Senior Open followed by the Senior Open Championship and back-to-back tournaments separated by an off week. We'll talk about going from one major right to another. We'll also talk about this year's senior open venue, Sunningdale Golf Club, which was the venue back in 2015, and Mark played in that event that year. We'll get his thoughts on the course, plus we'll get a putting lesson from him as well. Looking forward to Mark joining me in just a few minutes. Following him, I'll get a return visit from former PGA Tour caddy Andy Lano. Andy is actually up in Big Sky, Montana, which is the site of tonight's match between Phil Mickelson, Tom Brady, Bryson DeChambeau, and Aaron Rodgers. The event isn't allowing spectators, but Andy checked out the course yesterday, so we, he's going to give us a report on that. Plus, I'll get his thoughts on whether these matches, have they run their course? Is there still a compelling reason why to watch them? We'll hear what Andy thinks about that and a whole lot more when he joins me about 25 minutes from now. Following him, I'll be joined by John Wonder. John is the content manager for Callaway Golf, plus he's a film producer as well. We'll chat about equipment advances over the years. His thoughts on the match, plus the mental side of the game when he joins me about 45 minutes from now. 
Then we're going to round out tonight's show with a visit from another great friend, former tour caddy Russ Holden. Russ was on the bag for many years for Bernard Longer. He was also the caddy captain for the European team at the 2004 Ryder Cup. We'll talk about what it's like preparing for Ryder Cup matches. And if the PGA of America might have made a mistake by selecting a link-style course like Whistling Straits as a Ryder Cup venue, right? Are we giving the Europeans home course advantage here over in the U.S.? Are we doing a disservice to the U.S. team? We'll hear what he thinks about that. Plus, Russ recently went flying with the Blue Angels. I'm dying to hear that story. He'll join me a little over an hour from now. So there you have it, folks. More great stories, tips, and information are coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the Tee. And thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. Before we get started, I want to remind you about our friends over at the Macklemore. Folks, my buddies and I were there for our annual golf trip, and it was amazing. Everything about the place is first class. We had great accommodations. The practice facility is wonderful. The on-premise restaurant called The Craig had outstanding food, and the service was great. And the course lived up to expectations. We had high ones going in, and it lived up to every one of them. I can't say enough great things about the Macklemore. Go online to see for yourself how spectacular the place is at themacklemore.com. The course is co-designed by our good friends Bill Bergen and Reese Jones and our friend and PGA Tour caddy Kip Henley, who's going to join me again here in a few weeks. Said outside of Pebble Beach, the most outstanding 18th hole he's ever seen. And Golf Digest agreed with him, naming it the best finishing hole in America since 2000. See why we're all saying that by checking out the course and the resort online at themacklemore.com. And folks, this segment of the show is brought to you by TaylorMade and their TP5 and TP5X golf balls. High draw? Check. Low fade? Check. Bump and run? Out of the sand or flop shot? Guess what? Check, check, and check. No matter what shot you need to pull off, there's one ball that's better than them all, and that's the new TP5 and TP5X from TaylorMade. With the newly redesigned dimple pattern that decreases drag and increases lift, it's the number one ball in golf no matter the shot. So whether you need to hit it high over the trees, under or even through them, hit TP5 or TP5X, the one ball designed to handle it all. Check them out online by going to TaylorMadeGolf.com for more information. Okay, now back in making his 10th appearance with me is 2013 Senior Open Champion and now one of the top instructors in the game, Mark Wiebe. Let me remind you about Mark's background. He's from Seaside, Oregon and grew up in Escondido, California. Played his college golf at Palomar Junior College and then San Jose State. While at Palomar, he was the individual medalist at the 1977 California Amateur, and he won the 77 Idaho Amateur as well. He was named second-team All-American in 1979 while at San Jose State. That season, he and Don Levin won the Silverado Invitational in Napa, California. He turned pro in 1980 and started on the PGA Tour in 1983. Got his first win at the 1985 Anheuser-Busch Classic when he beat John Mahaffey with a birdie on the first playoff hole. Won again the following year at the 1986 Hardy's Golf Classic, this time by a stroke over Kurt Byram, thanks to a birdie on 17 during the final round. Mark matched Bobby Watkins' record for being the youngest winner on the Champions Tour at 50 years and 10 days old when he won the SAS Championship. Like I mentioned earlier, that he won the 2013 Senior Open Championship at Royal Burkdale defeating Bernard Longer on the fifth playoff hole after a final round 66. Later in 2013, he captured the Pacific Lynx Hawaii Championship in a playoff over Corey Pavin and always won eight times as a professional, twice on the PGA Tour, five times on the Champions Tour, plus the 1986 Colorado Open. He's a wonderful guy and, like I say, become a great friend, and I'm really thrilled he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. 
Hey, Mark, how are you, my friend? Chris, how are you, buddy? I cannot believe this is the tenth time now that we've got to talk a little bit about golf. Yeah, I appreciate you, brother. I can't, uh, can't thank you enough. Ten times. Double digit. You're fantastic. <laughs> I feel like on Saturday Night Live, get to the five timers club. Now I'm the ten timers club. I love That's it. That's right. <laughs> so Mark, it's been a minute. Last time we caught up was back in November. Catch us up. What's been going on with you so far in 2021? Well, it's, it's nice that we're starting to see a, I don't even know what to call it, but kind of a semi back to life after this pandemic. It's been, uh, something else, uh, part of history, I guess now. Um, and trying to get through that and like everyone else, um, been teaching a little bit more and, uh, loving that. I'm working with a couple, uh, of juniors that are actually coming down from the Bay Area. To, uh, to come in, and when they come in, we, we go big. Uh, uh, we go for most of the day. So it's a, a right now with the weather the way it is in Arizona, we can't, we can go in the morning basically. And, uh, but we go hard when we go. We go, you know, eight to one or two and, and grind it out and get better and send them on their way. So been keeping busy doing that. That's been great following their, uh, their progress has been really fun for me. And yeah, and just kind of, uh, that's it. Just trying to, you know, playing a little bit, got my pains with my neck, so I don't get to play as much as I, I would like to, but well, probably watching golf more than I ever have, uh, on TV, trying to keep up with things and, uh, stay current for sure. And yeah, that's it. So. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, you talk about staying current and watching golf on TV. One of the things I was surprised to see when I was looking over the Champions Tour schedule, Mark, is we've got back-to-back majors. I mean, essentially, we got the U.S. Senior Open coming up this week, and there's a, then there's sort of a, a travel week is what I'm guessing. And then the, the you know, a couple weeks from now, then we've got the Senior Open Championship. Seems a little odd that we get these sort of back-to-back majors on the Champions Tour. I would imagine it's hard to prepare for something. That's got to be a huge mental grind. What do, What are your thoughts on having these majors in, in essentially back-to-back weeks? I can tell you we actually did back-to-back weeks when I was still playing. And we went from Scotland, and I'm trying to remember where we were. Uh, we may have been at Carnoustie, and then we were going to Seattle for the senior open the following wow. week. So we, we flew from, uh, uh, you know, that's a long way to go from Scotland all the way back to the West coast and then have to perform, uh, that week. I didn't, I did not do well. I think that's when I really thought, uh, well, Bernie has really got it going on. Cause I, I don't know if he won both of those. Or what, but, uh, it was incredible to be able to do that. I just couldn't, there's no way I could get my body to adjust. I could do it fine going over, but coming back and then having to perform, uh, that's hard for the players. Now I understand, especially on the, uh, champions tour with the scheduling, you know, you're, you're kind of limited and you, 
as far as, you know, being over 50 and playing golf, you know, still for a living in some cases and not in others, it's still, uh, you're still kind of fortunate. So you'll, you'll kind of take what you get, I think, attitude. I don't think the champion has a, enough of a voice to say, hey, don't do that anymore. <laughs> you know, give us a break in between majors. But also on the Champions Tour, there's five majors. So it's, uh, right. there's more, there might, that might happen more often than not. And again, there's not as many tournaments on the, for their whole tour anyway, as compared to the tour. So I can see that happening. It's really hard as a player to adjust. Um, you know, you, you kind of have a golf game that you, you're trying to do when you do, whenever you go to the, uh, senior British or the regular open, uh, you just have a game that you're kind of almost you're not for sure you're going to play that game but you're pretty sure you're going to play that game because there's going to be some weather so you're going to play more on the ground and shorter swing three quarters more wind blowing trying to stable yourself uh there's a certain kind of golf you play when you go over there and uh you have to know you know what's 30 yards short of the green, which way does the fairway pitch? Because if it slopes right to left, then you need to know that to play for your bounce into the green if it were to be windy, and eventually it will be. So uh, there's that kind of golf, and then you go put the brakes on, and you come back to our golf over here in our country. Uh, it's not like that for the most part, and that's unfortunate. But, uh, you know, all of a sudden now we're playing fly it to the green or fly it to the pins, you know, and play for spin and a lot of that kind of stuff. And ball doesn't roll as much off the tee, more lush, more green. We have forced carries. There, there's so much different golf going on. So it's such a hard adjustment, I think. Now, maybe going from uh, an open to a PGA or uh, – or maybe even a player's championship going going from a P, senior PGA to a the senior players maybe would be an easier adjustment, mainly because of the flight. You don't have to fly across, you know, across the pond, as they say. So it's hard. So, I, I can tell you, I don't I don't know what it's like for an organizer, but as a player, that's a, that's a hard deal to get done. It's got to be a mental grind. I would think. Now, first, to your point, you've got the travel that you have to deal with and obviously the, the jet lag with that. And then the other thing you talk about is the different styles of golf, right? I mean, you're going from playing over here and, and our, you know, fly it to the green, higher, you know, shots, spin and that sort of thing to a, a ground game that's much more like you talked about 30 yards short. You're, you're kind of looking to see them. Am I running this up there? What way does the fairway sort of undulate and break and all of that sort of thing? Then you've got, when you're over there playing in an open championship, you've got the weather to deal with because right, you can get all four seasons in, the, in one round. Right? So it could be cold, it could be windy, it could be raining. It could cycle back through all of those things multiple different times. So you've got that sort of mental grind. And now you're coming back and you're going to play in, an, in, a, in a U.S. Open. My goodness, that's just got to be uh, taxing on your brain. Well. Yeah, and I don't care 
how you fly, first class, private, it doesn't matter. You, you're worn out. If you've given it all you have, then you've given it all you have, and then you have to go on the flight back, I guess, get back what you just gave. You don't have any more. So there's there's no, like, a recoup time of, you know, at the end of a normal tournament, most players uh, in their prime, I don't care what, how old you were, but when you're really in it, when you're really at your best, you're fatigued mentally at the end of the day. Not only for the playing part, but you've worked on something on your swing and you've grinded it and you've trusted that and it's, you've gone out and played with it and then you've grouped some, either that or something else at the end of the day. So emotionally, thought-wise, you're drained. You're on, that's on a normal golf day. Now throw a major into it and then throw overseas into it and you, you've just got, a, a tough go. And you know what? I commend those guys that can do that because, you know what? I wish I could have done that better. I don't know how I would have because I don't know how to, I don't know how you can do that. I guess multiple times doing that would probably callous you a little bit to, uh, and mature you, I guess, to the point where you kind of knew your body enough, knew what your limits are, uh, and then maybe just, accepted the fact you were playing two majors in a row. I don't know. That's a tough one for the player, though. I'm not trying to feel sorry for the player because as players we have so much. But uh, that's, a, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Mark, as the winner of the Senior Open, you get invited to play the following year in the Open Championship. In 2014, you got to play in the Open at Royal Liverpool. What do you remember about that week? I got to tell you, that's, I, the success through golf was not there for me, but I have to tell you that's one of the coolest times of my life. Um, the first thing was, that was my start at, at Coy Lake at Royal Liverpool, was my 500th official start on the PGA Tour. I sat at wow. 499 forever, and my son kept harping on me, Dad just asked for an exemption somewhere so you can get 500. And I said, Gunner, I'm not going to do that. I'm playing on the Champions Tour. Uh, I'm I'm just going to let things, you know, it, it'll be fine. He goes, Dad, you're at 499. And I said, I know. I, I wish I was at 500. But anyway, so then I went in the Senior Open, and I get to tee it. So it's my 500th start, official start on the PGA Tour. Huge milestone, I I think it, it was to me. Um, uh, and then the and the trip from that my wife Kathy and I took from Hoy Lake to Wales, and we did it by car. And there was the signs were not we could not understand because it was in Welsh. And, and they do a lot of vowels in a row over there and a couple T's and a couple D's and try to figure that out. And so no chance. So I mapped out every, everything on MapQuest and we had the greatest drive over. It was beautiful. We were on the top of a mountain range 
with ghosts in the way. So wow. equivalent to maybe not elevation wise, but equivalent to going from in, if you're in Boulder and you're going over the, the divide, the continental divide, or whatever that's called, the big range of mountains. Uh, that it's equivalent to that, I guess. Only it's not as extreme, but uh, yeah. So we had this, and we have uh, pictures and videos of this and of our drive over. We stayed at one place called the Castle Inn. And you know why? Because it was a castle. So, I mean, we just did stuff on this. It was just crazy. I mean, we had the greatest. We've been married for, oh, 36 years. That's probably some of the funnest times we had. And I didn't play at all. I don't think very good at all at, at Poy Lake. And I went to Wales and didn't play that good either. So, but I had this great moment. So, good that's for my you. memory of that. Yeah, it was awesome. Awesome. Mark, this is the third time that the Senior Open Championship is going to be played at Sunningdale Golf Club. It was held there in 2009 and again in 2015, and you were in the field in 2015. You had a fair amount of success at the par 5, 1st and 14th holes. 10th hole wasn't too kind to you. What do you remember about playing at Sunningdale? You know, I remember the golf course being incredible. But I, I think my attitude was not right for that because as just your basic uh, American guy that grows up and watched the British Open, you never paid attention, or I, I'm sorry, I didn't pay attention to the uh, that kind of golf course, the Parkland golf course. I, I was more into the drama of, you know, uh, the lighthouse. There were some iconic points along the ocean that sent me into I think a love for going over there and I never knew how to play the Parkland golf courses the right way and I'm bummed that I didn't I wish I had another go at it I'd love to get more into that because of the the title is the same for one thing as senior British Open champion the title is the same and I, I, I hate the fact that I wasn't good at that kind of golf course. I was better on a more dramatic looking golf course, more pebble beaches, more turnberry, uh, type golf courses. And, uh, but I will tell you this, what a, what a great golf course, super historic. Um, they got some stuff over there. It's just not too far off the fairway that goes in patches that it's made of wood. I think it's called wow. gorse. Yeah, and it's, it's <laughs> some brutal stuff. So it's not like you can go in and flash out of it because you'll it's it's not gonna happen. It's like it's like tiny little scrub oak for us Americans over here. So uh there's some unbelievable spots. There's that purple heather uh but the the history of it, the title that it carries you know, and and probably more so because I I feel so fortunate to have won that tournament that I I know how much it carries and it doesn't matter where you tee it up, that's the title at the end of it. it it's worth playing in. So, and it's just another one of those great golf courses, as we say over here, over there. 
Mark, when you first came out on tour and you got your first opportunities to go play in an open championship, how did you prepare? Did you seek out guys like Tom Watson that were really good at it to try to pick their brains for how it was going to be different and how you needed to play differently in a link style golf course and in an open championship? How'd you go about your preparation to play over there? Well, you know, again, hindsight is so great. I I did not seek enough help from the Tom Watsons. I mean, I had a great luxury of knowing these guys and playing alongside of them and being, you know, peers and uh, being able to take take that in. And I I don't I don't think it was laziness. And I maybe probably I was a little apprehensive about you know talking to Tom. Uh, as years go by, I would have felt more, way more comfortable as we got to know each other more. I didn't want to, you know, intrude on his week or his time because he was Tom Watson. No matter, you know, how much I was one of his peers, he was still Tom Watson. So I wish I would have taken more advantage of that. But I will tell you, uh, that kind of golf has intrigued me since I was a kid. I love having a decision to make uh, when I play golf. I probably, <laughs> uh, my whole family would tell you, I do not excel when somebody tells me I need to go over there because I don't. I may not want to go over there. I might want to hit it over here, depending on wind direction or the way I'm playing that particular round, the way I want to flight the ball into that particular green. There's so many things that go into golf that no one talks about. And, um, you know, that's what I'm having a great time sharing with, especially the juniors I'm working with right now, that stuff. Um, it's, it's, there's just a lot of stuff that comes along with whatever you do. You know what I mean? So uh, there's just, when, when you go down one road, there's so much stuff on that road that you need to know along the way to be able to get to the end of the road to start your new road. So it's, there's these, you know, they talk about baby steps, but it's just a, a the way to learn. I mean, it's the way I learned. It's the only way I know. Uh, I, I, I love, I love that. I love learning from the best and, uh, and then being able to share that is, is pretty cool. Mark, it seems like from the things that you've shared so far is you like to think your way around a golf course. You like a golf course that challenges you to have to think when you're out there. And what you just said a moment ago, I'm curious, your relationship with your caddies. And we got a couple of former caddies coming on the show a little bit later on tonight. You know, you said you don't want to be told you have to hit it over there. What were you looking for from your caddies? Did you just want a yardage? Did you just want um, you know, something in particular, and then let me think how I want to hit the shot. Just give me this piece. How did you form a relationship with hmm. the caddy, and what were you looking for? Well, that's a great question, and I will tell you, this is what I was looking for, not what everyone's looking for. I, I, I mean, everyone has their own need. Um, I, I, it was a relationship for me. It wasn't that you were a caddy. It was a relationship. I needed to be able to get along with whoever I was going to spend seven or eight hours a day with five, six, four, seven days a week, I needed to have someone that I had a relationship with. So uh, 
for me, I'm not a golf guy. I'm not a guy that when I hit my tee shot, that I want to talk about my tee shot or the next shot all the way up to the ball. I, I then you you probably won't be caddying for me because that's not what I do. I I hit my shot and then I need to go to, hey, did you see that game last night? That hockey game or that? How about the guy shot at the buzzer or? How about the touchdown alley, the touchdown pass that was no, there's no chance. And they, they get it at the end of the game to win. I mean, something like that is what I wanted to talk about. That No, again, that's me. So as I'm strolling up the fairways, I loved it when Caddy that followed sports because we could talk about that kind of stuff uh, all the way up to my ball. And then when it gets close to my ball, then I would zone in and get into my shot and my pre-shot routine and my the whole deal. But I needed a relationship with the caddy. I, I couldn't have a guy that was just golf only and couldn't carry on a conversation. It didn't work for me. Uh, and I watch it now. I have to tell you, man, I watch it now and I hear all the banter. I, I probably wouldn't be on the tour right now because I can't talk that much to my caddy. I, I mean, I want my caddy. Here's my deal. Do you think, what do you think? Do you think it's a nine? Is that enough? Yes or no? You think it's enough? Yes. Thank you. Now back off and let me hit this shot. These conversations that go on, uh, about how to hit the shot and stuff, I have to tell you, I, I don't know, I don't want to sound bad. I don't know if it's theater or if people know they're on TV or does that really go on? So as a player, you really, you want all that? That's, that's my, when I watch it, I'm going, wow, that's, man, you way, <laughs> I just need a yes or no. I didn't need the whole, you know, make sure your right knee's been at impact and make sure, yeah, whoa. I, I hope I'm not stepping on toes, but yeah. Mark, before I let you go, I got to get a playing lesson from you tonight. And you've talked about a couple of different times how much you're enjoying uh, teaching your junior uh, players. When we're playing, a lot of times, whether it's junior players or Weekend hackers like myself or whatever, we, we end up turning a par or a bogey into a double or a triple because we try to pull off the hero shot. Right? We're in the trees. We really haven't practiced what it's like hitting out of trees. We haven't practiced or, or we're not even good enough to hit a cut or a hook on demand. When you're working with your students, how do you manage their games on the course and help them not turn par or bogey into double or triple? Well. Um... You know, we talk a lot about where do you want to play your next shot from? You know, is it, if you can get near the pin, obviously that would be the answer. But if you have to go through a forest of trees, you can't really get there. So where do you want to play your next shot from? So it becomes managing your game. I mean, that's, that's kind of how I played the tour was I just managed my game. I knew what I was capable of, and I didn't try anything that was out of hand. So 
my main lesson would be, you know, back in play is always great. Higher handicap, back for sure, back in play. Get it back in play. Even for tour players, sometimes, you know, get it back in play. Get it to a yardage that you're really on the on the mark on. Like uh, Tom Kite type of guy, you know, he, he would have a bad driving day, but he hit his second shot up there. He'd lay up to, you know, 120 or in, and then he'd hit it about three feet and tap in for par. I mean, I, I just think that there's part of that game that we, you know, we don't, I, I'm not going to say we because I do teach that, but I think some teachers don't cover that. They're, they're way more into golf swings and, you know, how to how to do something with the ball. I'm more into, you know, do you want to shoot lower? Let's let's go around and let's let's manage our way around the golf course more. That that's my whole thing. If you're in trouble, depending on your handicap level, let's get it back where there's a good yardage in. And I know I'm going to hit it within X amount of feet. And then I'm going to have a ten. If I, if it's ten feet, I'm going to have a ten footer. Ten footer for par. That's I'm usually pretty good at those. That's that's I you know I like playing to your strength. That's my playing lesson to you tonight. And, and you know what? The check is not in the mail. <laughs> Mark, before I let you go, let our listeners know how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, and if they have whether it's a junior player or themselves out uh, in your area of Arizona. How can they find you and get a lesson from you? Well, probably the best way is uh, com is my website. And, and then through that, you can get my email. mweebygolf at gmail.com is my email. Uh, but that's also on my website. Just go to com. Check out my pictures. Check out a couple of the programs I have. And... Uh, yeah, you've got all your information on that. Well, Mark, I can't thank you enough. It's always a lot of fun getting to spend time with you. Thank you for doing it a tenth time tonight, and I'm already looking forward to number 11. You're fantastic, my friend. Awesome, buddy. Thanks so much for having me on. Mark, take care. All the best to you and your family. Look forward to catching up with you again soon. That's a great Mark Weeby. Again, markweebygolf.com. His last name is spelled W-I-E-B-E, if you're not aware. And uh, 10 times tonight. So uh, I can't thank Mark enough for indulging me 10 times. And like I say, every time is so much fun and I learn something. And the stories he shares are fantastic. So hopefully uh, I'm privileged enough and we're all privileged enough that uh, Mark will join, join me again here real soon. Before I get to my next guest, Andy Leno, I want to give a shout out to a few of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Squares Golf. Are you like me, always considering new golf equipment, maybe a new driver? I'll tell you what, let me reset your thinking because I discovered Squares Golf Shoes. The patented square toe provides balance, stability, and a wider base for increased connection to the ground, effectively increasing your swing speed by 2.2 miles per hour, an average of 9 yards of distance. Independent tests prove it. That's right. It's proven in science. Go to squares.com. That's S-Q-A-I-R-Z.com and get Squares 30-day money-back guarantee. Use promo code DISTANCE for $20 off. Remember, distance comes from swing speed, 
And swing speed comes from your connection to the ground. And folks, I wouldn't tell you about it if I didn't experience it for myself. I've never felt more stable in my golf swing, which allows me to swing faster and launch it further. Squares, the distance golf shoe. I also want to give a shout out to another new sponsor, Bionic Gloves. Do what you do better with Bionic Gloves. Whether you're looking to own the golf greens, improve your workouts, or get your hands dirty in the garden, Bionic Gloves has you covered. Designed with a hand specialist, Bionic Gloves feature patented innovations that help improve your grip. The strategically placed anatomical relief pads also prevent calluses and blisters, while the web and motion zones allow for greater dexterity and flexibility. Head over to BionicGloves.com to find the perfect glove to up your game. And I want to remind you about our friends over at Zexio. Back in 2001, Zexio Strixon began making clubs for men and women, and they've improved on those clubs every year since. I was fit for a set of Zexio 10 irons by a great fitter on their staff. He got me dialed in, and they feel and perform fantastically. They are by far the best irons I've ever played. They are light. I have picked up nearly 5 miles per hour in swing speed, and they're deadly accurate. Every part of Zexio clubs are made exclusively for Zexio. Like I say, everything is light and balanced. Swing weights are made to give us the highest smash factors. The best part of getting fit for Zexio clubs is hitting it higher and straighter than ever before, changing your game. Zexio clubs are a Golf Digest Hot List Gold winner for 2021. Congratulations to Zexio Ambassador NB Park for her five-stroke victory earlier this year at the Kia Classic. It was her 21st victory and she did it using Zexio 11 Woods and X Irons. Ernie Ells and top instructor Martin Hall are Zexio ambassadors as well. See why and how Zexio can help improve your game. Go online to ZexioUSA.com. That's X-X-I-O-U-S-A.com and pick which set is right for you. Okay, now next on the tee with me is Andy Drano Leno. Andy was a caddy for 25 years on both the PGA and LPGA tours. He caddied for Kenny Perry for about a decade. He's also been on the bag for players like Tom Watson, Peter Jacobson, Nick Faldo, Michelle Wee, and our good friends Dave Stockton Jr. and Richard Zokel. He played golf in high school at Deering High in Portland, Maine, and his college golf at Western Kentucky University. Andy caddied in over 40 majors and was a part of the 2004 U.S. Ryder Cup team. He was also on the bank for Michelle Wee in 2006 at the 84 Lumber Classic, where she played on the PGA Tour against the men, and he was inducted into the Maine Golf Hall of Fame back in 2010, and he retired from the tour in 2016. Started his own business called Golf Mastery, which helps players master the game from a strategic management point of view. Go online and check it out at golfmastery.net, and I'm excited to have Andy back with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Andy, how are you, my friend? Hey Chris, doing great. Uh, you know, it's um, I'm out here in uh, you know Montana. You know, big, doing you know flying high in big sky. So uh, it's beautiful <laughs> out here. It's the first time I've been out here, and uh, you know it's the 47th state for me. I only got three to go, so I'm a little bit sad that I haven't been to Montana previously because it is an awesome place. Yeah, I mean, from from some of the pictures I've seen you share out on social media, that looks fantastic, my friend. Talk about your trip so far. What have you seen? Well, I mean, we planned this a long time ago, me and my wife, Dina, and, you know, we started off, obviously, we left, you know, Vancouver, and we drove through to Boise, stopped there, and then we went to Jackson Hole for a day, down to the Grand Tons, all that kind of thing, and then we made our way up here um, to, uh, 
where we wanted to spend a majority of the time in Big Sky. So it's been fantastic. We get Yellowstone National yesterday. I mean, the, the sights and the views and everything that we've seen. I mean, it's a it's a beautiful part of the country, and I just recommend anyone that hasn't been out here yet, definitely put on your bucket list. And Andy, right there uh, in your neck of the woods now is the latest edition of the match, which is being played tonight. And you were out at the course yesterday. Talk about what you saw there. Well, I mean, it is one fantastic piece of property. I mean, it's a Jack Nicholas signature design. Um, you know, he, he doesn't put his signature. I, I think he puts them on all of them, actually. But this one, honestly, I believe is one of Jack's best. And um, with the, you know, the terrain and the altitude changes and everything that he had to deal with um, is it, an amazing piece of property. The, you know, typical Jack, you know, the fairways are generous, but the greens are very small and very uh, short in depth. So you really have to really manage, um, you know, your you know your distance control, which is really hard to do when you're at 7,500 feet of altitude. As you know, the ball doesn't spin as well off the clubs for whether it's Phil Mickelson, it's you, Tom Brady, whoever. It's very difficult to control your distance. So with that, it makes for a really challenging course. I mean, it is fabulous. It's got a great balance of par threes and a 777-yard par five um, that actually plays like about 600. So really just a fantastic place. Not a lot of people know about it until today. <laughs> right, until today. And I want to talk to you about the match in just a second, but I want to get your thought. If you were caddying tonight for any one of the four players or back in the day when you were on tour, if they had an event at a place where you've got that kind of elevation change and the change in spin and distance and all of that sort of thing. How do you go about preparing? How does your player go about preparing so that you know when it's time to you know, the start of the tournament? How do you know, get yourself dialed in and understand the impact that all that's going to have on how well you're able to play? Well, it's a lot of calculating. So um, to start with, let's just, a quick example would be, let's just say it's a 400-yard hole. So now, automatically, we generally, as caddies, gave 10% to the altitude for a deduction. So now, you're already down to a 360-yard hole. Now, all of a sudden, you've got a downhill hole that's 25 yards. And so now we're down to what is down to 335, and we've got 10 yards of healthy wind. Guess what? We just turned a 400-yard hole into 320. I mean, that's just a small example of the calculations that you had to go through. And then you basically, whatever the end number was, you matched it up with your normal yardage. So, you know, came to 160 or whatever, then you would, and you still had, you know, 220 to the hole, then you hit your 160 club. So today, these guys, you know, they have the lasers that are figuring it out, you know, with the up and down and all that. They played yesterday and they practiced and, they got a good feel for it, but it's still very difficult to do for four days in a tournament. We had to go to Denver. You remember Castle Pines every year in Reno. Um, you know, the altitude places are difficult. And there's actually quite a few on the European tour. So you've got to be pretty good with your math as a caddy. Otherwise, your player is going to be looking at you funny. And Andy, to your point, with all of the technology now, you mentioned the laser yardage finders that we have now with the greens books that that people have and we know that those things uh look like they're going to be outlawed for for the game at the pro level going forward 
But with all of that sort of technology and information, do we have a, a concern that five years, 10 years down the road, that caddies are going to become obsolete? I mean, we also have, and I, I don't, I'm sure you've seen this at some of the other higher end golf courses where you've got the, the bag that uh, you put the little thing on your belt clip and the thing will follow you instead of having to pull the pull cart. You've got an electronic one that will now find you and follow you as you walk the golf course. It seems like technology is now starting to infringe on caddies. What are your thoughts on that? Um, on certain levels, maybe. Um, I don't really see it ever breaking its way into any of the professional stuff you know, for the people that play for money, like any of the tours. Now, I know the PGA allowed lasers this year. To me, that was a disappointing thing. I mean, I, don't, I know they said they were trying to speed up play, but yet, you know, if you got to that, I think it was the 17th hole, there was four groups on there. So, I mean, at our level, meaning the PGA Tour level, lasers aren't going to speed up play. Like Pro Caddy is fast, faster than a laser, actually, to get the yardage, know where it is, et cetera. So, so speaking to what you said, as far as recreational golf and resort golf, you know, there's a chance that, yeah, that could happen. Um, but I, I don't think you can ever take the human experience away of having a caddy and having a walk and having that knowledge and that information and that wisdom. I think that's still going to stand. It has for hundreds of years, and I believe it will continue to. And, Andy, let's talk about the match that's going on tonight. Is that compelling golf for you? Is that something that, you know, if you were at home and not right down the street from where the event was being held, would you be tuned in tonight? You know what? I mean, I like it. I like it for a couple reasons. One, I like the jabbing. I like the, you know, the laid back kind of attitude that these guys have. You know, they're taking a day out of their busy lives to do this. But the biggest thing I like about it is the charity. They're going to raise over 20 million bucks today. And that's really what it's all about. Um, and that's kind of overlooked. I mean, you know, people are talking about, well, change up, you know, these people, whatever. And yeah, I think they should probably mix it up you know, with some people maybe or whatever, and they'll figure that out. But I, but I think it's kind of a neat kind of a thing that actually this is what kind of goes on in, on in practice rounds with the pros on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, and they actually play. So they're not far off their game. I mean, this is a new stuff for, you know, Aaron Rodgers to be barbing and Phil and Phil to give it back to him and, and so on and so forth. These guys fool around like that up till Thursday all the time on the PGA Tour. So. I think it's great fun, you know, for the people that listen to it and, and they have the mics on them and all that, listen to their strategies or whatever. And it's, it's not a very often thing. So I think it's, you know, when it comes, I think it's, a, it's, it's quite entertaining. So if they were going to switch it up, and I agree that they should switch it up, and to your original point, hey, this, this money going for charity is fantastic. I think that is the, the most important part of what we're, what we're watching tonight. When I see this, this sort of match, I really don't care about, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers and watching them hit golf shots. I sort of harken back to the days back in the 80s. I'm sure you remember with the, uh, the skins game, right? When we used to get to see Arnold and Jack and, and those guys, uh, go out and play these skins games. And that, and there was a, uh, a charitable aspect to that as well. That's, that's sort of what I'd love to see us getting back to. It was sort of a laid back experience for those guys. They'd mic those guys up and, and that sort of thing. I'd love to see something along those lines. I'd love the Tiger and Phil match. Uh, JT was awesome as an on-course sort of commentator. I'd love to see him, at, whether play or, or let's mic him up and get him back out there as, as part of the event as well. And, and you're right. The trash talking part is, 
is uh, what makes it a lot of fun. I'd rather see it go that way than see uh, them switching it up. And I've heard uh, talk about, well, maybe we get Michael Jordan out there next time. And maybe it's Michael and, and Steph Curry uh, with a couple of guys. I don't know. What, your thoughts. Am I the old guy, you know, yelling at people to get off their lawn? Or do you like to see <laughs> athletes from other sports take part in this thing? I mean, I, 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 I kind of agree with you a little bit. Like you said, I enjoyed the Lee Trevino fuzzy teller days. I mean, you know, that, right. that stuff was priceless, priceless stuff. I mean, not only could they talk and hit shots, they actually, you know, hit him in the hole or whatever, like Trevino did it, you know, out there at uh, Palm Springs one year. It's controlled by, you know, Tiger's group. You know, they own the rights and they partner with Phil's group or whatever. And, and so those two are always going to be the first options obviously unfortunately tiger can't be there this year so phil's kind of driving the bus so to speak so i mean with that i mean i think the football thing kind of done its deal and it is time to move on to something else i don't know where that might be i mean it might even be to get you know some lady golfers in mixed in with it too or yeah. whatever. um I'm, i mean have have a little bit more i mean a little more variety than than what they've shown and again, who knows who's available and who they've asked, et cetera. So we really don't know those points. But yeah, I mean, I think the more different they make it, the better it's going to be as far as people watching it, being interested to watch it every year. And Andy, the Bryson DeChambeau, Brooks Kepka thing, you know, the rivalry, if, if, if you will, or the, you know, kind of the trash talking back and forth that those two guys are, are, are doing has sort of been all the rage now for a few months. Looking back in the day, and again, you know, when we think about uh, the history of the game, we've had a lot of great rivalries. I mean, Jack and Arnold were friendly rivals, throw in Gary Player for the big three. I know Paul Azinger and Seve were certainly rivals, at least at the Ryder Cup. Maybe it was on the PGA Tour as well when Seve would play over here. And I think we all wanted Tiger and Phil to be huge rivals, and they sort of were, but we never really got it on the golf course, particularly on Sunday in a major but uh, your thoughts on this uh, Bryson-Brooks rivalry or whatever you want to call it that they've got going on right now, is that good for the game? Do we need something like that to make it just a little bit more compelling? Well, I mean, I think what's been forgotten in all of this is is that golf is a gentleman's game. And it's about, you know, like Jack speaks to this all the time. It's about sportsmanship and, you know, and, you know being courteous and all that kind of thing. And I mean, it's not UFC, in my opinion. So, you know, the, the Bryson thing and the Kefka thing, did that bring attention to golf? Yeah, yeah, it obviously did. And people are so hyped up now with all this UFC stuff that they just kind of, you know, to me, they kind of, you know, attribute it to that. You know, if that makes any sense. But I mean, I mean, there's classes involved too. And I, and I just think that, you know, for me, I don't, I don't really think it's healthy at all for the game. I mean, it's about being classy and being a gentleman. And that's what Jack and Arnold, as you spoke of, no matter how bad they wanted to beat each other, they did it in a classy way. They shook hands. They never saw any real animosity at all. And they never really cut each other down that I can remember. So with that, you know, that, that, that's my take on the matter. And Andy, as we look ahead to the Ryder Cup, and you were, you participated in a Ryder Cup, can Captain Stricker ha- potentially have a Bryson and a Brooks as members of the team? Can you keep that from 
breaking the team apart or causing too much tension or ter- turning it into, you know, a, a sort of a circus within the team. How, how would you, or how do you think Steve Stricker is going to handle potentially having both of those guys as members of the Ryder Cup team? Well, I mean, that's now that's going to be a little bit of a task for Steve and Steve is a uh, classy guy, you know, and he's a straight shooter and Steve will have that handled. I'm confident that he will. Um, I mean, obviously Bryson's on the team a lot, so they're not going to be able to keep guys off the team. And it looks like Kepka is on the team also. If not, he would probably be one of his six picks that he gets. Maybe, maybe not. I'm not sure. But I mean, I, I will say, or I would hedge on the side that Steve will have this all sorted out. There won't be any of this shenanigans going on. This is a team event, the Ryder Cup, and this is playing for the United States. This isn't, you know, this isn't an individual thing. So you got to, you know, bury the hatchet for a week, whatever it is they got to do, and they're going to have to do it. Or there probably will be issues. But I believe that, you know, Brooks and, and Bryson, they're, they're, you know, they're smart enough to know that, you know, they, they know what's on the line and they got to play for 10 other guys. So you got to just check your egos at the door and I think that'll happen. Andy, catch us up on all the great things you're doing through your company, Golf Mastery. The site is golfmastery.net, helping us do a better job managing ourselves around the golf course. Talk about what you're doing there. Well, basically, I mean, I mean, there's a million teachers out there. And could I teach golf with everything that I've learned in 25 years? Yeah, I could. But that's not really what I want to bring. What I want to bring, or what I do bring, is I bring a little bit what Mark was actually talking about, about how to manage the game and how to how to be better with percentages and how to, you know, strategize and play a course and how to play golf to lower your score. So with that, I mean, you know, it's, I've watched the best and the, you know, the greatest in my 25 years and walked alongside them and witnessed how they, how they prepared and, and how they actually, you know, went into weeks and, and et cetera. And it was, you know, it was uh, obviously it was part of w- going to work for me, but I mean, I learned a lot from a lot of golfers along the way and try to take some of that knowledge and wisdom and pass that on to some folks, whether it's someone that wants to has aspirations for the tour, whether it's someone that just wants to compete and maybe be an amateur or whatever it may be, strategy, setting up, you know, how to, how to, how to do practice rounds. I mean, it's more about, you know, the, the other stuff besides golf swing and that kind of, that kind of stuff that teachers do. I mean, I could do that with some of my friends and some of my, um, you know, my, my cohorts, but basically it's, it's that and it's about strategy and I'm actually running you know, a special this July. Um, so they should he- head to my website and check it out. Andy, you're also doing some work as an ambassador for the Dormy Network, and uh, you're working with a company called Caddy Now. Talk about what you're doing with both of them. Yeah, so the Dormy Network, they own six golf courses in, in the United States, and um, they're in various parts of the country from New Jersey to San Antonio to Nebraska to Indiana, to um, Roanoke, Virginia, to even Pinehurst. And they have properties that offer basically, you know, top shelf service. It's basically what I call golf camp. So you can bring customers there, it's entertainment purposes. You bring them there to entertain. They have, you know, great places to stay. They have top notch chefs. It's all about getting that great experience and being 
you know, paid attention to, and then obviously getting to play some great golf on some of these courses. So, um, that is, uh, that is a very neat kind of a program they have set up. It's not for everybody, but, it, but if you're entertaining for golf, it's definitely something you can look at. I mean, because it's a, it's a cool aspect. I'm also helping them with their caddies. They're trying to bring a little bit of a higher, you know, a little bit, um, sharper kind of a, you know, a, a program presentation to the folks that do come to the, to the Dormy Network properties. And, you know, that, that's, I'm trying to give them some pro tips there as a consultant. And then what, what Caddy Now is, Caddy Now is an app that helps, um, clubs manage their caddies. So if they have a program already, which several clubs, you know, there's several clubs, thousands in the United States, this app kind of works like Lyft and Uber and it actually, you can manage your caddies and not have to be on the phone with them, texting them, et cetera. It's a very neat deal. It's very up to date with um, technology and it's just a time saver. It saves the pros time, saves the caddies time, and it's great for the members. Andy, before I let you go, remind our listeners how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, again, on your website and then over social media as well. Yeah, they, Well, the website is www.golfmastery.net, um, and that's pretty much my, you know, my calling card there. I mean, you can go there and see what's happening. Um, it, it's pretty, pretty easy to figure out. Um, and then, of course, I'm on Instagram, I'm A-G-L-L-A-N-O-2, and on Twitter, I'm A-L-A-N-O-2. That's all I do for, uh, as far as that goes. Um, I don't, I don't do any of the other stuff, but I can be, you know, I can be found at those places too. Make sure they, they check out the, the July special. It's a really good deal. Um, you know, it's, um, it's up, it's up there now and people want to go and check it out, you know, and, and contact me. It's a, it's a really fun deal for them if they really want to get, get going and get, get better at golf. Well, Andy, like I say, it's always fun having you as part of the show. I hope you'll come back and join me again real soon, my friend. It's always a, a thrill to have you here, and you make the segment so much fun. Chris, you know, you know, I I, I love it. I, I I love you too. You're the best, and I really appreciate the opportunity always. And hopefully, we'll uh, we'll get to see each other soon. I look forward to that. Stay safe, Andy. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. You got it. Thank you very much, Chris. See Andy. That's a great Andy Lano. And like he says, A Lano 2 uh, is how you can follow him out on Twitter. Golfmastery.net is the website. And folks, the thing that uh, we don't uh, spend enough time within our games, like we talked about earlier with Mark Wiebe, you heard Andy talk about it as well. It's really managing ourselves out on the golf course, right? It's how do we not turn a par into a bogey or a bogey into a double, right? It's making sure we have the right strategy. We're thinking our way around the golf course. And Andy, as a guy, like he said, 25 years out on the PGA Tour, folks. He spent a lot of time with Kenny Perry, spent a lot of time with the greats of the game. Tom Watson, he was on the bag with for a while. And when he wasn't on, just with those guys on that bag, but also a, a member of the a twosome that might have included a guy like a Jack Nicholas and some of the other greats of the game, right? So, he picked up what he had from the guys he was carrying the bag for, but then also spent time with some of the legends and picking their brains. So you've got a lot of knowledge in Andy that you'll have access to by going on to golfmastery.net and take advantage of it, folks, because uh, like you heard, Andy's just a great guy in general. And then all of the knowledge he's going to be able to pass along to you, hard to come by that. Certainly go online and check it out and take advantage of what 
Andy has to offer. Before I get to my next guest, John Wonder, I want to give a shout out to a few of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Finn Cycles. It's time to rethink golf. The game is at a tipping point. The young people we need in the game don't have four and a half hours to spend out on the course. Pairing Finn Cycles with a desire to play ready golf can cut playing time in half because all golfers go directly to their own golf ball. Plus, it's tons of fun. Go online to finscooters.com and click on Find a Finn for a course that has them near you. I also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Golf Pride. Did you know that Golf Pride lets you rep your favorite team while also using the number one grip in golf? Your team, your grip, MCC Hybrid Grips, the number one grip series worldwide. Features an exclusive brush cotton cord in the upper hand for all-weather performance, with premium rubber in the lower hand for added feel. The new MCC Team Series is available in a variety of new color combinations, so you can rep your favorite team out on the course. Available in standard and midsize, check it out online by going to golfpride.com. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. All right, now next on the tee with me is John Wonder. John is the tour content creator for Callaway Golf. You've probably seen some articles from him on GolfWRX.com, where he was the director of original content, Instagram manager, and host of Gear Dive Podcast. He's from Seattle, Washington, grew up playing at Rainier Golf and Country Club. John has also partnered with the Traveling Picture Show Company. He's produced a film titled Josie with Game of Thrones star Sophie Turner. Back in 1997, John was the clubhouse attendant for the Anaheim Angels, and I'm excited to have him with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, John, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, that's a that was a hell of an intro. I don't even... Uh... I think you read, kind of read my whole life story on there, and I really appreciate it. <laughs> nice to be on your show. <laughs> I appreciate your time, John. So let's go back to the beginning for you, my friend. As I was doing some of the research, I, I heard that you loved baseball growing up. What got you to um, transition from baseball over to golf? Oh, God, that's a good uh, – well, I was uh, – I played from Seattle, so – Played baseball for my old man from the time I was probably eight till the time I was, I don't know, 14 or 15 years old. And you, know, you play for your old man long enough. Uh, you know, you kind of get tired of baseball. The whole thing, you know, your whole relationship revolves around baseball. So I decided that I wanted to go work at the, uh, work at the golf club and smoke cigarettes and pick up range balls with my buddies and see what this whole golf thing was about. And then went and worked at a golf course. And that was kind of end of story for me. Once I got in, I, you know, you know, golf golf can kind of consume you, and it's you know basically consumed me for the last we'll call it twenty nine thirty years. And John, Rainier Golf and Country Club. Rainier Golf and Country Club is uh, a little over a hundred years old, so a very historic place. Talk about that golf course. It's uh, in my I'm biased because I grew up there, but it. In my opinion, it's got to be the toughest 6,300 yards of golf on the West Coast. And I don't say that lightly. Um, it's, uh, you'd have to play it. It's tight with really, really tough greens. And, uh, I've seen really good players shoot 80 there. And I've 
you know, I have never really, I've never really ever seen anybody take it, take it apart. Um, just one of those golf courses that, uh, you have to manage yourself really, really well. Like Freddie Couples, for example, grew up in Seattle and played Rainier a ton of times. And every single time I've ever mentioned Rainier to him, he kind of just laughs and shakes his head. Like, you know, he understands how diabolical that golf course can be. So it's a great place to, great place to grow up, um, to learn how to play. Like what a great golf course to learn how to play, uh, the game at. John, I want to take you back to the 1990s and the story I heard about you. Um, you're mm-hmm. at a Safeway grocery store at the magazine stand. You pick up a copy of Golf Digest <laughs> with Bill Mickelson on the cover. And that issue yeah. got you so excited about the equipment side of the game. Do you mind sharing that story with us? Well, you've done your research. Uh, okay, yeah. So I was, uh, I guess it was 19... 19- 1993 or 94, I can, I can still see the, uh, the Golf Digest, the magazine, you know, in my, in my mind, the cover of the magazine. It was Phil Mickelson. He was hitting a bunker shot and, you know, it was back when he was, uh, a, uh, back when he was signed by Fairway Blues, which he was wearing all those kind of like tie-dye kind of golf shirts. And, you know, the whole thing looked cool. And that was the first time I'd ever really looked at a golf magazine. And I remember flipping through it and seeing all these advertisements from, you know, Cleveland, when they had the VAS irons and ping, they used to put their color-coded fitting system in the, in the advertisement. And, you know, things were just a little bit different. There was so much, you know, information to consume uh, just around the gear. And um, that in combination with, I want to say, a month or two later, uh, my dad took me to the Ernst Championship, which was a tournament that Fred Couples put on in Seattle. And the first year that they played it was at Overlake. And I think this was in 95. I want to say maybe it was 94 or 95. I forget what year it was, but I went there with my dad and I was about a year, a year into playing golf. So I was already, you know, really into it. And I remember standing behind the driving range and seeing Davis love pull his bag up and Mickelson's bag. Yannick's bag was right next to his. And the first thing that caught my eye was seeing Davis love, who was a Tommy armor staff uh, player back in the day. And, you know, he didn't have any Tommy Armour clubs in his bag. He had a set of Mizuno blades that were, you know, had a ton of lead tape to cover them up. And he had actually stenciled in Tommy Armour to kind of cover the Mizuno. So it looked like he was playing Tommy Armour clubs, but they were Mizunos. And I remember just being consumed by looking at, you know, looking at the lead tape and then looking at Phil's bag. He had this, you know, Ping I-2 lob wedge and these cool graphite shafted Yonica irons and, you know, the whole thing was just cool. It's like, you know, you're looking at the, the tools of the trade. And um, at that point, when I realized that they, they didn't play just any clubs, that they played a kind of curated custom and that their golf clubs represented a part of who that player was, at that point I was hooked because the, what their golf course, what, what their golf bags looked like represented a little bit of what their game was like. And at that point, uh, I've been, I would say that's the moment I became a gearhead. So there you go. It's a long-winded story, but that's how it went down. So to your point now, John, I mean, with so you, with so many gear combinations, right? Even within you working with Callaway, there are tons of different shafts. There are tons of heads, all of that sort of thing. And then when you start, when you start to get to a place where, you know, whether you're, you're you know, one of the PG, like PGA Tour Superstore, which is a wonderful place and a wonderful sponsor of the show. You go in there and boy, sure. the hit and the, the combinations you can put together. 
you must be like, in, is that your heaven? You're like, well, let me try this. Let me throw that in there. Let me pull this other thing out. Right. That's, that's just got to be so overwhelming for where we were back in the nineties to all the different options we have now. It's just exploded. Yeah, it it has, but you know, I've, I've been doing this for myself. You know, I've only been doing this for the golf industry, say for like the last three and a half years, but I've been doing this for myself for, we'll call it the better part of 25 years. So when you become sort of ingrained in an ecosystem of something that you're obsessed with, you just sort of, you, you don't get overwhelmed anymore because you, you, you sort of understand the rhythms of, of what each shaft company does, what each club company does. You know, I, I can go back and tell you, you know, you know, hell, if you go back all the way probably to like 2000 or the late nineties, I could probably tell you what was in the winner's bag of pretty much any, any major winner for sure. And pretty much any player for the last 20 or 25 years, because that's, I was consumed with it. So I don't get overwhelmed by how much is out there now. Um, I more or less get overwhelmed by making sure that the people that want to know and get interested don't get overwhelmed. So my function for Callaway or for Golf WRX is to take the overwhelming nature of what golf can be and make it easy for people to understand. Um, so that when they're going to buy a golf club, they're not looking at the wall going like, what the hell am I doing here? They, they have an idea of like, Oh, okay. These colors and these, these numbers and everything they have, it's a language, the golf language. And, and, you know, Johnny kind of helped me understand what all this information means. And I don't feel like an idiot when I walk into the PGA tour superstore, I can just get excited about the golf clubs I want to buy. Um, and I'll understand why I'm buying them and why they're right for me. That's that I get excited about that stuff. Now I just turn so people, turn end. other people into gearheads. Yeah. So to that end, right? Because I would be one of those guys that would come to you and say, you know, in the midst of the PGA Tour Superstore, looking at all of the different head and shaft combinations, the grips and all of that sort of thing, and not knowing mm -hmm. what the different flexes and kick points and all of that sort of thing is all about, and just be overwhelmed with like, look, what I want is I want the ball to go straight. I sure help me understand, like, what does all of this mean to me? How do I understand if I've walked out with the right thing or I've just been handed something that I hope works? Yeah, I mean, and you'll get, there's different schools of thought here, but, you know, I'm always a big advocate for finding a home base. And, you know, whether it's your local fitter or the PGA Tour Superstore or one of these high-class fitters like the Tour Experience Golf or True Spec or one of these guys, you have to find... It's like finding a good car salesman that you trust. And I don't mean to put that in like the shady context. I mean, just finding like a good, say, grocery store or a butcher that you like, that you just like what they do. And you just kind of you know that that's where you're going to stay. And that's kind of how it works with fitters. Is you find one and you don't get your head on a swivel. You go in there and try to figure out what's right for you. And once you get, uh, once you create a relationship with that fitter, then that's it. You don't need to know anymore because the most important thing for any golfer, especially the ones that are, you know, maybe higher handicaps is finding center contact. You know, sometimes it's not even hitting it straight. I'd rather hit somebody hit it out of the middle of the face and their dispersion be a little wider than somebody that hits it like crap and just hits it down the middle. Um, because there's, we want to enjoy ourselves too. So center face contact is important and most good fitters can get no matter who they are, they can figure out a club that's going to find the middle of the face for you. No matter how, you know, regardless of how you swing, they'll figure out a way to get 
center of the club face on the ball. Um, and it's that feeling, right? That feeling of pure impact that really gets people back the next day when you really hit one on the nuts. That's what brings people back. And after that, it's, you know, being able to make a par gets people excited. Um, so those are, you know, those are, I feel like those are the two main entry points into the game of golf. And, uh, if you, if you can find somebody that can translate that to you and not make it overwhelming, just the same thing as like a PGA uh, teaching professional, the same thing. There's a lot to learn with golf, but the, the objective is to keep it simple and find these two nice entry points for any beginning golfer, um, so that they can enjoy themselves and they want it. They're excited to come back the next day. So that's my, no, I'll jump off my soapbox. <laughs> I appreciate you being on it. Yeah, John, yeah. so certainly a lot of the talk about around the game for the last several years has been about how far the ball goes now and all of that sort of thing. And you look back to the 90s, heads are different, balls are different, flies further, and all of that sort of thing. I mean, goodness knows we just saw Phil Mickelson at 51 hitting drives over 360 yards right at the PGA Championship. I can't imagine right. that the big manufacturers like Callaway and Taylor made titles and all that sort of thing are going to dial anything back. What do you think is the future of the game? Well, dialing anything back makes no sense. And, you know, when I was at WRX, I had a few conversations with some of the people from the club manufacturers that had just gotten the USGA report and kind of asked what I thought because I was in the equipment industry. Like, you know, what do you think about this? I, I don't understand why they would – one, I don't understand the timing of it all. So if you read the report and you sort of listen to the powers that be, the biggest concern that they have over the distance debate is uh, – I, I think I read something about uh, conservation of land. They're having to make the golf courses too big. And, uh, they're too expensive to maintain because everybody hits it so far. Blah, 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 blah. That was like one of the main, one of the main things. The second, the second worry that they had was that it was going to make the traditional courses, the ones that we loved and cherish irrelevant as time went on. Like, you know, for example, like the Pine Valleys of the world, just to use an arbitrary example, would all of a sudden just be too short for anybody to play. So. Then you get somebody like Bryson DeChambeau, who comes on the scene. It's one man, mind you, one man, comes on, puts on 40 pounds of pump and starts hitting at 390 and starts to play the game in a different way. Now, he's the one that sparked this debate and got people thinking about distance again. And granted, there's a lot of guys that have over 180 ball speed, but none of them are dominating the game. So if... Bryson DeChambeau came out and put on 40 pounds and was hitting at 400 yards and did what Tiger did for 10 years. And then there was three or four right behind him that did the same thing. And I go, okay, great. Maybe, maybe these guys are hitting it too far, but they're not. They're one in one time, you know, once a year, twice a year. They're not ripping golf courses in half. It's not like Bryson DeChambeau went to Wingfoot and picked it apart with his driver. He happened to put his, you know, put out of his mind that week and won at six under, but by no means did he take that golf course apart because he was hitting it so far. Like he didn't win a wing foot because he was the longest guy there. He won because he he putted it fifty times better than everybody else did. So the whole the whole argument of why of the why we're spending this money to research if the ball's going too far to me is it's it's a little ridiculous and it's a big waste of money 
because if your if your main argument to why is because the golf course architects are complaining because they have to make the golf courses too big, well, who told you who told you to make the golf course too big? Like, who told you that the golf courses had to be seventy six hundred yards? Why can't you make a really fun golf course at sixty seven and use your brain and make it a little bit more nuanced with some rough and smaller greens, faster greens? Why do they have to be? so long and i use olympic club and a lot of the shorter golf courses on tour as the example um because those guys aren't ripping those golf courses apart olympic club they played it in 2012 and i mean i think one under one and they, they, the guys i mean that golf course almost killed the whole field that golf course is like 6800 yards so the whole argument long story longer the whole argument about making dialing the ball back or having the manufacturers make quote unquote tour equipment versus like the stuff that they sell in the, like kind of limit limiting tour equipment. It's a ridiculous argument. It's a total waste of time and a waste of resources. And I'm, I'm, I, I hope the whole, I hope the whole thing goes away. Well, my opinion, I think it's, I think it's completely ridiculous. John, just go. a couple more before, before I let <laughs> you go. Um, I want to, I want to, let's get a little bit away from golf. Like I mentioned in your intro, you're also uh, a producer and into filmmaking. Talk about the, the film that you've recently been a part of. Well, I'm a partner, uh, in a company called the Traveling Picture Show Company. And the first movie that I produced, uh, I was, I was in the film business before the golf business. And the first movie I produced is the, like you said, it's a movie called Josie with Sophie Turner and Dylan McDermott. It's a small independent film. Um, the victory in that one was just actually getting it made. It's really hard to get a movie made. Um, but the company as a whole collectively amongst me and my partners, I think we've made nine movies. Um, and I was, uh, I don't, I'm not involved as much as I used to be, but I was the head of development. So, uh, I was the person that developed the scripts of the writer, helped package the film up and kind of got it ready for financing. I was never, I'm not really an on set producer. I didn't like being on set. So. Uh, I liked working with the writers and the directors to make sure that the whole package was fully cooked. And then once it was cooked, I handed it off to the, uh, to the producers and went on to the next project. Um, so, but I'm, golf has sort of taken over my career over the last uh, couple of years. And John, for our listeners that want to stay up to date with what you're doing, are intrigued by everything that we've talked about with respect to the things that you're interested in, first of all. Second of all, you know, th those that want to educate themselves more, it sounds like that's what you really enjoy doing is educating uh, the average golfer like myself about the equipment and what it can do for us. How can they stay up to date with all the great things that you're doing, whether it's online or it's on social media? Well, if you go to at CallawayGolf.com slash W-O-W, that's, that's my website, uh, like at CallawayGolf.com slash WOW, it's called The World of Wonder. A website kind of off off-site website of the callawaygolf.com platform uh at uh johnny underscore wonder on uh instagram uh you can go to the callaway golf youtube page i've got a lot of stuff on there but anything related to callaway you can kind of find me on their twitter handles facebook instagram youtube i'm always lurking in, in their ecosystem somewhere so i'm pretty easy to find John, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come and be a part of the show. I feel like we've just barely scratched the surface with you. I hope you'll come <laughs> back and join me again sometime. I, I will. I'm sorry I gave you about three really long-winded answers, but you just caught me at the right time, uh, the right time of day. So I, I a little, a little. Uh, I hope you. I hope it was good. <laughs> it was good, and I thank you for doing that. So 
I hope we get yeah. uh, a, a repeat of that before too long. Well, I, I like your show, so thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Take care, John. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. That is John Wonder, and the last name is spelled W-U-N-D-E-R. And like he said, you can find him in and around everything that has to do with Callaway. Callawaygolf.com forward slash W-O-W is a good way to find him. There is a lot out on YouTube with John. So uh, I feel like we've got a lot of equipment discussion to get into. So we'll get uh, John back on the show again soon. All right, now joining me and making his seventh appearance here on Next on the T is former tour caddy Russ Holden. You've heard me talking for years about the wonderful work that Russ does with his organization, Caddy for a Cure, which helps provide not only opportunities for our wounded veterans to be caddies for a day for some of the greatest players, you know, currently now on the PGA Tour, plus some of the great legends as well, but they also do a great job gifting and changing the lives of our uh, military veterans. Russ is also a Class A PGA professional. He was the head golf professional at Wood, uh, Woodfield Country Club in Boca Raton, Florida. It was there that he met Bernard Longer and became his caddy from 1991 to 2006. Russ also served as the captain caddy for the 2004 European Ryder Cup team. Going back to his college days, he played at Malone University, where he was an NAIA All-American in 1980. He was named All-Mid-Ohio Conference in 1980 and 81 and was the Mid-Ohio Conference MVP in 1981 as well. He was inducted into the Malone University Hall of Fame in 1994. <clears throat> and like I say, he's been a wonderful friend of the show for years, and I'm excited he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Russ, how are you, my friend? Gosh, Chris, uh, thank you very much for that uh, introduction. I don't think I've ever been, uh, I sure hope my wife is listening to all that stuff. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> great to be with you tonight. <laughs> so, Russ, I'll tell you what, um, so much has been going on with you as I've been uh, keeping up with you over social media. First of all, congratulations are in order. Your daughter, Kayla, is a heck of a player. I'm jealous as heck of her golf swing. I saw your post uh, about her qualifying for the USAM. Talk about that. Well, yeah, it's uh, it's been a great experience. You know, she plays uh, over at the University of Tennessee. She was a freshman this past year and uh, had a great year, had a couple of real good finishes and uh, being away at school and, and playing at the highest levels in the SEC and the Division I uh, college community. Uh, played, played some really good golf and uh, learned really, uh, how to golf her ball probably quite a bit better on her own uh, and, and got in, in, in some ways away from her coach, which is me, uh, to, to go out and learn <laughs> how to play the game. And it was really good for her. Uh, and now she's home and we're back working a little bit and uh, working on, on cleaning up uh, a few things here and there. And she came out and had a really good day uh, last Monday in uh, in Delray Beach and uh, won uh, on the third hole of a playoff for the last spot to uh, go to a USGA event. And that's always a big deal. And she's really excited. In fact, just played Westchester, was up visiting her brother, who's the golf professional at the uh, Apawamas Club right next door to Westchester. And uh, she's looking at going up to, to Westchester the first week in August. And uh, I think uh, there's going to be a fairly decent caddy on the bag there for her. Hopefully, uh, all will go well and, and Dad will be able to pull her through again. And she was named, talking about uh, her season at uh, at Tennessee, she was named the SEC Women's Freshman Golfer of the Week. For her performance at the Gator Invitational, where she finished tied for sixth in just her second collegiate tournament, that's another tremendous accomplishment. 
Yeah, you know, there were. Uh, it, it, it was really good for her. She uh, being being a Florida girl, uh, Florida was one of the schools that, that had shown some interest uh, in her. And uh, you know, it, it, it's just a big puzzle uh, trying to trying to be in the right place at the right time to be picked by the by the by by the opportunity or the school that 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 fits what you want as far as a, a player and, and academics and everything. And Florida was was near the top of her list, and uh, for uh, various reasons, it just didn't work out. And there's nothing personal uh, in that, but uh, it felt really good for Kayla to be able to go back to Gainesville and uh, be able to put in a really good uh, performance there and and, and elevate the, the University of Tennessee women's golf program and team. And it just felt really good for her to get off to a good start. Uh, as you mentioned, you know, her second event, she finished tied sixth, I think, up there in Gainesville and played really solid. She plays at Donald Ross Golf Course, two of them, as a matter of fact, in Knoxville as their home course, Holston Hills, which many of your listeners will recognize as a, a top 100 golf course, a Donald Ross masterpiece. And then uh, Cherokee Country Club, another Donald Ross uh, facility, a uh, great facility there in Knoxville that treats the girls and the guys very, very well. Uh, University of Tennessee Vol teams, uh, both men and women. And uh, she likes the Donald Ross layout. It, it, it's challenging. Uh, yet very fair. Uh, you have to know how to play the, the Donald Ross golf course. And I think that led her uh, with her experience to be able to play well at Gainesville. She's played there many times and, and just knows how to get around a Donald Ross golf course and how to beat it. And Russ, you, you talk about caddying for her, and that has to be one of the hardest caddying jobs as a parent. Right? I mean, how do you deal with the stress of wanting her to play well just because you're her dad? Right? So you already got that built in. You're rooting for her. You're stressed watching your child play and you want them to, to play as well as they can. How do you deal with that and not put on extra pressure for her? Plus, you know, keeping your nerves calm and her nerves calm. I, th- I think it was quite a bit more difficult, uh, in years gone by when she was younger and maybe not playing as much, uh, or playing as well. And, and certainly, you know, it, it, at times even leaning on me too much. Uh, it, and again, I mentioned it earlier, her being away at school, and having to go out and, and really do it on her own. Uh, I caddied for her both at the U.S. Open qualifying in Atlanta at Druid Hills this year. And then again, as I mentioned in Delray Beach at the USAM qualifying. And it, it was a, a remarkable change, uh, in, in, in her, in just who she was and the strength that she showed and the control that she had of her own emotions and her own shots. And, and it was quite a different dynamic. Uh, it, it was almost going back to the Bernhard Langer days where, I, I really was there as a, a, you know, a watchful eye and, and I had my own thoughts and my own ideas. And, and basically I kept those to myself until I was asked what, what I thought where in the past uh, with Kayla, you know, I would step up and, and immediately try to lay out the way I thought the golf course or the hole was designed to be played and how I thought it should be played. And, and uh, this was much better having her, uh, and, you know, and obviously we did the necessary prep work beforehand and we talked through a lot of holes and strategies and things like that. But, uh, it was, it was great to see her and, and have her have that confidence and that strength to be able to pull the club and pull the trigger on her own with full confidence that she was doing the right thing. Whether, whether it was right or wrong, we'll find out momentarily. But at the moment that she pulled the trigger, she was in, in, in full control that that was the right shot to do. And Russ, I saw that the two of you and your wife went out and played at Seminole about a month ago. Boy, that had to be a lot of fun. What was that like? 
Well, it really was. You know, I'm, uh, I help out. In fact, I'm on the road right now with them. Uh, my, my good friend, Hall of Famer, Dennis Walters. Uh, we have a, a very close relationship and, uh, I help him, uh, quite a bit, uh, in Jupiter where he lives. And he's very good friends with, uh, longtime now retired golf professional Bob Ford, uh, over at Seminole. And, uh, they, we did an outing, uh, their second to last day that, uh, they were, uh, open and closing for the summer. And, uh, they had a, uh, they had a great charity there. They had two of them, actually the Kiwanis Club as well as, uh, uh, saving the turtles with the loggerhead marina. And, uh, the, the, the tournament organizers were so delightful. Kayla was there and, uh, working, working very hard. She hit some balls and they tried to work her into the tournament and it opened up in the afternoon that, uh, they, they had an opportunity to play and new golf professional Matt Cahill being the wonderful fellow PGA professional he was, uh, to the Holden clan and uh, off we went and uh, really, really had the, the day of a, a, a dad's lifetime. Uh, forget the PGA professional thing, but uh, just dad being with uh, with mom and with daughter and enjoying that great facility and, and, and just the ocean and everything. And believe it or not, all you listeners, uh, if you can eat your heart out, uh, we had Seminole all to ourselves. Uh, that's, that's a pretty big thrill to go out, to go out and have Seminole. For a little while, uh, wow. front nine, we were basically all by ourselves and had, you know, and now that they've removed all the trees and everything, you can virtually see every hole on the golf course, uh, from up on top of the hill. And, and it was just, it was magnificent. What, what a great day. And speaking of great days, they just keep coming for you because I also saw the video of you flying with the Blue Angels back in April. How did that come about? Well, I, uh, I was, uh, uh, long associated with the, uh, with the foundation and, uh, helped, uh, with, with our, with our mission to help our, our wounded. Um, we have the, the Blue Angels Foundation is a, a great organization made up of former pilots. Uh, my dad was a pilot and, uh, through, through a, through a, a series of, of events, I, I ended up, uh, uh, meeting some, some team members, uh, when they were down, uh, our way, uh, back in the early 2000s and, uh, developed some friendships through there. And, uh, it, it, it was really unique. It was something that I'd, I, I'd always hoped for and it's something that I wanted. Um, it's incredibly difficult. And, and the more, uh, work that we were doing, uh, with our wounded, um, especially with Caddy for a Cure on the PJ Tour, uh, they, some people noticed it and, uh, gave us a call and, uh, asked me if I would like to go in the back seat. And, uh, of course, uh, I, 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 it was a dream come true. It was, uh, uh, really one of the greatest hours of my life. And, and there's nothing that, that will ever recreate that. Uh, but, uh, to be able to have that, that privilege to be able to sit in the back seat of an F-18 Super Hornet and be able to go up and fly, uh, for an hour with one of the greatest pilots in the world, um, is beyond, beyond all words. Uh, I don't think there's enough time on this show <laughs> to let me talk about it. And my wife limits me to about three minutes. Uh, per occasion, uh, and I get to try to get it in there as best as I can. It was, it was fun. It, it was great fun. I, I, I will tell you this. I'll close on that with this, that I went from the most scared I've ever been in my life to about six and a half seconds later after we did the vertical takeoff, uh, to probably having the most fun I've ever had doing anything, uh, on planet Earth. Uh, it, it was really a, a kick in the pants and I enjoyed it. Uh, I didn't pass out. I didn't throw up. And I enjoyed every single second of it. Yeah, so I got to expound just a little bit for another. Ask your wife if she'll indulge me for one more minute on this topic. Because 
As I saw the video, obviously the pilot pulled back pretty hard on the stick and you do that vertical takeoff. And he had some pretty tight turns where it showed you were experiencing 7G. What does 7G feel like? Yeah, actually, it's a, the, the max on the Super Hornet seven and a half, and we got it all the way up to seven and a half. Um, I, I had some, I had some good help. As I mentioned, um, I've got, a, I've got a real good friend in, in Dallas who is a, uh, a former Blue Angel, and, uh, I work with his daughter, actually, who's a, who's a young golfer, and, uh, we're, we're, we're pretty good friends. And, and when I got the call, I called him and, and gave him the great news, and I said, okay, so what do I do? I had about nine weeks. Uh, prior to my uh, to my date of, of flight, and he gave me a lot of great tips. You know, he said, uh, you know, in nine weeks, the best you can do is just work on work on your legs, uh, work on your glutes, and, and work on your core, work on your abs. So I, I went to town, and I was religious about it, and I never I never stopped. I I, I was doing two a days and uh, working really hard, and then there's about an hour uh, training uh, that goes into uh, uh, prior to your flight. So I sat in the flight and ready room, uh, with, with, with my pilot, Julius Bratton, Whiskers, uh, and his crew chief, Nate Lyons. And, uh, Nate was just over the top rock star. He, uh, he, he told me, uh, you know, exactly how it was going to happen and, and when it was going to happen. And I had plenty of time to be able to, uh, you know, I was, I was going to be made aware of how many G's we were going to be pulling. And then, um, I, again, there's a cadence that goes along with it. So the pilot will tell you that, uh, you know, we're going to go, we're going to go here in just a second, start pulling your legs, start squeezing your glutes. And if it's going to be a pretty heavy duty one, he's going to tell you that we're going to get after it and that you're going to uh, pull quite a few G's and you're going to need to use the hip maneuver, which is saying the word hick and, and for, forcing the blood up into your head. And uh, he'll give you a good ready, hit it. And once he says hit it, uh, you're off to the races. And uh, you know you need to you need to be ready to go for about nine or ten seconds, and, and sometimes even more. But it's it's extremely challenging, and it's nothing like anything that I've ever felt before. There's there's nothing. There's no way to describe what it's like when you know the, the, things start pushing down on you seven times your body weight. Uh, and, and, and it's just an incredible feeling. And, uh, it was even more incredible that I made it. Uh, I thought for sure that, uh, being tall as I am and, and, uh, you know, at, at my age and, and not, not in the, you know, I, I, I try to stay in shape, but I'm, I'm not a physical specimen by any stretch of the imagination, uh, that I was able to make it and, 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 and do it. But I think a lot of that hard work for those nine weeks leading into it allowed me to be able to pull the G's. Now, much different uh, doing in a number seven backseat as opposed to the demo uh, of the Blue Angels themselves. Uh, those guys are doing positive and negative, and, and you know they're 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 getting after it for the whole 45 minute show that they perform for our for our our, our great country uh, as they just performed this past weekend in Kansas City with the Thunderbirds. Those guys, uh, they're 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 really they're really something else to be able to get in there and, and get after it for 45 minutes. Uh, I, I had plenty of time to get ready for my G's, and, and I'm not sure I would want to do the demo. Russ, I want to switch gears and get back to talking a little bit about golf and really want to you know, pick your brain about the Ryder Cup. You were the caddy captain for the European team back in 2004 when you were on the bag for Bernard Longer. Uh, those 2004 Ryder Cup uh, events were played at Oakland Hills up in Michigan. I'm curious, how far in advance as a caddy and then as a player when when Bernard was with you, how far in advance are you preparing 
for a Ryder Cup? Is that something you're doing the year before, six months before, a couple of weeks before? How long prior to the event are you going there to map out a strategy and get prepared? Well, I mean, from the day that Bernhard was announced that he was going to be the captain, uh, he started, he started that moment. Uh, for me, for me individually as a caddy captain, I, I, I was just kind of along for the ride until maybe, maybe months before as we started to go into Detroit and, and started to, you know, look around in that spring, uh, just on, on, on the golf course and places to stay and, and what the format was going to be and the whole hotels and, and a lot of the logistics uh, that, that, that go into a Ryder Cup, uh, much, much more behind the scenes. And that was kind of my job, was, was basically to take care of all the caddies as well as all the players and, and specifically be there as Bernhard's assistant, uh, driving the golf cart for him uh, around, uh, you know, from hole to hole and, and, and being on the, on the earpiece or whatever. But uh, opportunity, we were, we were near the lead in the Masters in 2004 earlier that year, and, and we, we actually came to, to number 10, and I thought, you know, this, I, I actually thank Bernhard going off the 10th hole. I just thank him for having me there, uh, you know, it's Sunday, and that was the year Phil Mickelson won, uh, as we all know. But uh, we had a chance. We were right there. And I, 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 I tapped him on the shoulder, and I said, you know, I, I don't know that I'll ever have another experience like this in, in the world of golf. And, and I just wanted to thank you for having me here. And uh, I, I was wrong. I, I, <laughs> the Ryder Cup uh, blew that experience away, e- even being, you know, Sunday at Augusta, you know, with a chance to win. Uh, is, is virtually every golfer's dream, but uh, being at the Ryder Cup, uh, the, the experience, the crowd, the energy, the electricity, uh, just just totally blew that away. It, it is just an, a mind-numbing experience to be inside the ropes and be, you know, in, in the team room and all the other things that go along with being on the Ryder Cup team. And Russ, I, I'm really surprised that the PGA of America chose Whistling Straits as the venue this year. It's a Link style course, which you would think would seem to give the European team an advantage versus the U.S. having a real home course advantage there. Does that location surprise you at all? I worked for Bernhardt at the at Whistling Straits. Uh, I think for the P, I think it was the PGA. Uh, it, it, it's it's a great place. It, it, they can put a lot of people out there. It, it, it's somewhat dangerous. I remember the first. Uh, Time that we were there, uh, there, there were several dozen people had, had broken legs or ankles and things like that wow. because of the, there had been, there had been some, a little bit of wet weather and, and those, those mounds and those hills were really slick and people are, you know, jockeying for position to try to get in a good vantage point. And, uh, I, I know that people were falling left and right. I, I know I fell once, uh, trying, trying to walk through there, but, but it is a, a massive place. It's very, very big and they'll be able to, fit a lot of people in there for a Ryder Cup. Um, you know, I, I don't know what the plans are, you know, with the PGA of America, with, with the with COVID restrictions and all the other things that are going on. But, uh, I, you know, the, these things are done, you know, many, many years in advance, obviously, well before we even knew what COVID even was. So, uh, you know, from that from that perspective, I, I think it will be a, a, a cool place. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know that there is a, a, a European advantage to a, a link style golf course like that. Um, it, it is, it is on the water, uh, which, which can make it a link style golf course, but, uh, there, there's a lot of holes that play very, uh, Parkland style, uh, at, at Whistling Straits. Um, so I, I don't know, really know who has the advantage. Um, it, it, 
from my perspective, being on a Ryder Cup team, you know, the, the European team, um, you know, just the way that the Europeans run the European tour, the way things are so different in Europe and, and the fact that they only have to play every other year, I, I think that they look forward to the Ryder Cup um, possibly as a team, not necessarily individually, but as a team. Uh, I, I would definitely tend to give them the advantage because they do come together so well as a team and, and, and for whatever reason have always, not always, but to, for, for many years now and decades have, have really risen to the, to the call uh, of, of challenging for the Ryder Cup. And it made it very, very difficult, even though in many times the U.S. on paper would have a much better team. So long-winded answer to your question. I'm, I'm not sure that whistling straights provides an advantage to either team. Russ, with there being so much interest in the Ryder Cup and fan fervor and everyone getting all excited and it's every other year and we're playing it here and we're playing it there and everybody has so much anticipation every other year for the event. We have the Solheim Cup over on the LPGA Tour. What we don't have is a similar format on the Champions Tour. Right? It's, a, it's an opportunity to have the legends there get an opportunity to kind of relive some of the Ryder Cup matches, right? Relive some of that excitement, build that for that tour. Do you think not having a format like that on the Champions Tour is a missed opportunity? I think it's a great point. I, to be frank with you, I've never really thought about it. But uh, now that you bring it up, I, I, I think it is a very good point. I think the Champions Tour, PJ Tour Champions is in a, in a very good position right now with a lot of bright, young players young uh, obviously 50 years old uh some some bright stars coming onto the champions tour and then you know guys like bernhard still going going strong as can be that uh, i think it would be very compelling especially for the the demographic and the age group that, that tends to lean towards watching the champions tour it's a different uh, form of golf but uh, i think we would all get a real kick out of seeing you know fred couples and uh, you know battling it out with 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 Monty or or somebody like uh, Bernhard or Monty and Lothabel and all the great names that are out there, I I think it's a brilliant idea and bring resurrect some of that uh, some of that old Ryder Cup war by the shore maybe back from the early nineties nineties right. the the Country Club showdown there with Justin Leonard and some of the other uh, great stars that we had on those teams. I think that's a brilliant idea. Why don't we go ahead and do that? <laughs> there you go. Absolutely. Um. Russ, up to date, up, uh, update us on the great things that you're doing over at Caddy for a Cure. Uh, it's such a wonderful uh, organization that you've got started. It's benefited so many of our uh, military veterans and our and our heroes. Talk about what's going on there. Well, you know, we've been we've been uh, shut down, obviously, to COVID restrictions, and uh, we're very excited. I talked to the tour a couple of weeks ago, and uh, looks like things are 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 have some light at the end of the tunnel and we're looking forward to getting back out on tour and, and, uh, getting, getting some of our veterans back on the bag for, uh, the, you know, the time and experience of their life. But, uh, we recently had our Liberty mutual invitational tournament. We're our 14th year, uh, having our annual golf tournament. And, you know, we really went about it this year with a, a little different, uh, perspective that, uh, we wanted to give hope and encouragement to a lot of our longstanding supporters and as well as bring in a bunch of wounded veterans uh, that have been in our program before, and uh, it, it ended up being just just fabulous. We followed all the COVID restrictions and, and to a T, and we, we did a safe distancing as much as we possibly could. Um, it was a great event, and uh, was highlighted by by one of our our wounded uh, asked for the hand in marriage 
of his longtime girlfriend, and we were able to uh, help him coordinate all that. And uh, it was a, a breathtaking moment. Uh, we had our, our, our already mentioned good friend Dennis Walters uh, was there and gave a show that night and uh, gave a little give a little Q and A with with me. We we asked some incredibly compelling questions and gave everybody a lot of hope. You know, if your if your dream doesn't come true, he always says, you know, get a new dream. Uh, but uh, having having that young sergeant from Michigan. Uh, be able to come down to Florida. I uh, brought his girlfriend in, and uh, they they are they are the consummate perfect couple. Uh, they're absolutely perfect for each other. I, I I've seen a lot of a lot of people get engaged and, and go on and get married, and, and this these two here are just two peas in a pod. And we were so delighted. Um, he was one of our first wounded service members. I think it was uh, almost 14 years ago. And we've stayed in his life as we try to do. You know, our, our, we like to think of our Caddy for a Cure program as much more than just a Caddy experience. That's just the beginning. Um, we, we like to stay in, involved in their lives and be there for them and continue to do other things for them. We've, we've done, we've done so many things. Once they're in the Caddy program, once they've been in our family, our Caddy for a Cure family, it just continues on and on and on in various ways. And, and it was so cool to, have this young man come back, and and he's had troubles. Uh, you know, as so many of our wounded face so many different issues uh, emotionally, psychologically, uh, with, with 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 all kinds of things. He, you know, suffering with drug addiction and alcohol uh, uh, problems. Um, and and, and he had it. He had it tough, and he felt that that uh, there was nobody there for him. And uh, got involved in golf, got involved in our program, got involved with uh, uh, a great veteran program up in Michigan, playing some other sports, softball, and some other things. And, and we've seen a complete metamorphosis in, in this young man's life. I mean, we've seen him go from the pits of, of, of everything that we see on TV and, and, and media and whatnot as the people that are really struggling to to a, a guy that's really on top of his game and, and really performing well. And to it took a long time. But to see him there get down on one knee right in front of us, we knew it was, I knew it was going to happen. Nobody else knew it was going to happen. I knew we had it all planned out. And he brought her up there in, in front of our patrons. And, and when he went down on one knee, I'll, I'll tell you what, that, that might have been one of the most coolest, fulfilling moments in Caddy for a Cure's 21 history, 21 year history, it, it was just fabulous. That sounds like a great story. Congratulations to the two of them, and what a wonderful thing to be a part of. Russ, you guys do so many great things for our military veterans. For someone that's listening in tonight um, that has a wounded uh, veteran as a part of their family, uh, their circle of friends, that sort of thing, how can they get in touch with Caddy for a Cure? and learn all of the things that you guys are doing and get involved. Well, thanks, Chris. We, we have a, a nice website, caddyforacure.com. We spell it with a Y, C-A-D-D-Y-F-O-R-A-C-U-R-E, caddyforacure.com. You can go there, and uh, there's not a lot happening right now, but you can certainly go there and read about our, our past and our history and a lot of testimonies and a lot of the, a lot of the other charities that we support and, and help uh, you know, financially through our efforts. But uh, uh, you know, if you see something on there, uh, you know, please feel free to reach out to us. But, but Chris, I want to highlight, you know, we, t- we take the asset that we have, which is, which is golf and specifically the caddy experience that, 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 you know, through fate or whatever you want to call it. Uh, you mentioned my relationship with Bernhard, you know, 30 years ago. 
that have led to that. And we like to think that we're taking whatever we have and, and we're using that to the best that we can to help the people that we want to help the most. And I would encourage all the listeners to do the same, that, that you have assets and, and to use those assets, whatever those might be, as silly as it might seem, well, you're caddying for somebody. And, and we like to think that we've used that to the best of our ability to be able to, to serve our country and help all these men and women that have raised their right hand and, and, and served so valiantly and so brilliantly. And if you, you know, if you're a listener out there and you have something, whatever it might be, I encourage you to give. You'll, you'll never regret it. You, you really won't. Uh, it is something good to do. Well, Russ, I can't thank you enough for being generous with your time tonight and coming back and being part of the show and continuing to do the great things that you do for our veterans. And uh, my congratulations to you and your daughter and uh, the great things that she's accomplishing there at the University of Tennessee. We wish her continued success, and I hope uh, we get the privilege of having you back on the show again real soon. I'll be on any time you want, Chris. You do a great job. You're one of the best in the business, and and I love being with you. Go Vols, and uh, thanks for all your support of everything you do as well. Thank you. I appreciate that very much. Russ, take care, my friend. Stay safe. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. Yes, thanks. See you, Russ. That's a great Russ Holden. Again, Caddy for a Cure, C-A-D-D-Y-F-O-R-A-C-U-R-E is the website. Um, the stories that you'll read on there are uh, are heartwarming. The things that they've been able to do, not only giving uh, our wounded heroes an opportunity to, to caddy for some of the greatest players on the PGA Tour now and the legends of the game as well, but then some of the gifting that they do. You heard Russ tell a story there. Uh, they've gifted a home to a military veteran and his family. Uh, you know, not just like, you know, hey, here are the keys. Now you've got this, this, uh, house payment paid off. Here's a house, right? That, uh, that, that, uh, um, that they were able to have and, and, and take possession of and, and live in. And so many wonderful stories, so many great things that Russ and, and, uh, the folks there at Caddy for a Cure are doing. I, I encourage you to check it out and get involved. And if you know it, a military veteran that could uh, use some help, please reach out to Russ. They're great people doing great things. All right, folks, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the T. My sincere thanks go out again to Mark Wiebe, Andy Lano, John Wonder, and Russ Holden for joining me tonight. Please check out our website, nextonthetea.net, to keep up to date with what our guest schedule looks like. And scheduled to join me next time are our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry, author of the book, The Nine Virtues of Golf, Jay Ravel, will be making his next on the T debut, as will the creator of the Imagine Golf app, Malcolm Scoville. He will also be joining me next week. And then we'll round out the show with a return visit from the guy who probably knows more about the technical aspects of the golf swing than anybody on the planet, and that's PGA professional Bob Grissette. Looking forward to having Bob back as part of the show. So it's going to be a great one. I hope you'll come back and be a part of it with us. Folks, you can stream this show as a podcast on so many of the great podcasting apps out there, particularly podcast.co, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audioboom, Player.fm. If you have a favorite podcasting site, we're probably on it. Just click the search button and then type in next on the T. You'll probably find us on there as well. And if you enjoy the show, please do me a favor and go online to podcastmagazine.com and vote for us in their Hot 50 list. When you're on their site, you'll see Hot 50 there right at the top of the home screen. 
Just click on that and you'll get a drop-down list and you'll be able to see where you can vote in the Hot 50 list. Click on that, type in the name of the show and my name, Chris Mascaro, as the host. I'd really appreciate your support. And I can't thank you all enough for getting us inside the top 25 in their July edition. We're at number 16, so we keep getting a little bit better every single month. I appreciate your vote. You can vote once a day. So if you don't mind, please vote us into the top 10. That's where we're looking to get to next. Folks, thank you again for choosing to listen to the show tonight. I really appreciate the fact that you continue to make Next on the Tee a part of your golfing content. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.